smiling faces here this evening. And if you got a smile on your face, I know the Lord put it there. The devil didn't do it. The world didn't give it to you, right? Amen. There used to be that old song, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. You remember that one? Fact is, the Lord puts a smile on your heart, in your, on your face and puts a smile in your heart too, I guess. Praise the Lord. So I guess I need to apologize. My good wife is not here. And uh, she, you know, she changed a job. Her, her job moved to a different office, which put her farther away and starting like an hour and a half earlier. So she has to get up like 4 a.m. You know, and I'm a preacher. I can sleep in, so I don't have to do, do that. But, uh, you know, she, she, she just gets up early. That's what she loves to do. And, you know, and she's that kind of person. She's that clean freak, and she's really a hustle, bustle, get it going, you know. And I don't get to sleep long because by, by 5, the, the lights are on and the vacuum and hitting the bed. Boom, 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 boom. She, I didn't wake you, did I? I'm sorry. If I get up in the night, use the restroom, come back, my side of the bed's made up. You know, she's already, she's really something. Evangelistically speaking, right? <laughs> no, but anyway, so she goes to bed about 8 o'clock, and she's like, what time are you going to get back? I said, baby, I don't, I don't know. I'm preaching out. You know, she said, well, I might have to miss that. And I said, well, do what you feel like you got to do. But really what it is, is we got a new grandbaby. You know what I mean? And so another chance to touch that little baby's skin is like heaven on earth to her, you know, and me too. But I mean, so I know where I am and, you know, and where the grandkids are and, you know, but anyway, but she's praying for us this evening. And so, uh, hey, yeah, I'm so glad to be here. I enjoyed being with you this morning. Good to be here with your good pastor, my nephew and his great wife. Praise the Lord. She is a sweetheart. And Posey. Praise the Lord. Amen. Won't you stand? And we want to uh, just simply go before the Lord. And I say go before the Lord like we're going to go before the Lord in prayer. We're going to do that too, aren't we? But we're going to go into His Word right now. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 18 through 20. I hope this is a faith-building lesson, okay? I hope this builds your faith and you feel when you leave this evening a charge and a strengthening of your faith. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which, which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. In other words, fight a good fight, Timothy, his son in the gospel. I want you to fight a good fight. By holding faith, that's what he says, holding faith. Everybody say holding faith. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away, you hold on to your faith. Some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Of whom is, and he names these two, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan that they may, may, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Verse 19 is where I'm kind of taking this uh, uh, stance tonight. Holding faith and have a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. And I'm going to call this lesson or this sermon uh, 
message, treat, teach, preach, whatever. I want to call this reclaiming shipwreck faith, okay? Let's just ask God to bless the remainder of this time. Lord, we are so thankful. And I have felt your presence all throughout this day, this morning. You are in this place and you are here now. Lord, and for a purpose, there's a reason. You know each and every need that's in this house tonight. And I pray there would be a reviving and a strengthening of our faith this evening in the house of God. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. God bless you. You can be seated. As we get older, we realize how fast time flies. And everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about. You say, uh, you know, when I was a child, when I was a young person, I thought it took forever for Christmas to come, you know? It was forever. I mean, like, Christmas will never come. Well, they have Christmas, it seems like, blink, and there it is again, blink. We just put up all of those Christmas decorations, and my wife now is taking out October stuff or the, the fall stuff, and I'm like, we just put that up. And then, then again, I'm putting those reindeer back out with the fancy lights on, and I, I know. And then it's tax season again, and then it's springtime, and it's time to get out, and broom, 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 and then all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden, time flies by. You know, and as you get older, it seems like truly it does go by, go by much faster. But each year, there is a season called hurricane season. It goes from June the 1st until November the 30th. And we obviously are in that season right now. We know the news. We know, uh, you know what we're hearing and what has happened this last few days, recent days in uh, uh, Florida because of the hurricane that's gone throughout the state. 2005 was the most active hurricane season on record of all time. 28 known storms in 2005. And it was a, something that had never been broken ever since they had, were keeping up with the hurricanes, you know, until 2020. You think, man, 2020 was a terrible year. And we know, yeah, 2020, all the things that went with 2020. But the hurricane season, that record of 28 uh, 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 recorded storms was broken so now 2020 is the most active hurricane season on record with some 31 storms and every year that goes around we say oh man oh my god you know we're gonna this this is probably the year it's gonna break that one now and we're you know everybody especially in the coastal uh regions are thinking well i wonder what global warming is gonna do and there may be that fear or that least that awareness that maybe this season might be one as active as uh, 2020. So we've escaped, apparently, this year. You know, maybe we'll get through this. Maybe there won't be another, but we've got about a month, I would say. But fortunately, our weather satellites do warn us. Now, I'm in uh, bees and honey business and and for our whole life, my family. But uh, the one that came through Louisiana probably, I don't know, five years ago, and I've forgotten the name of it. But I was down there. My wife was from South Louisiana, and I went to her. Uh, you know, we went for Christmas, I guess. And I, I ran into a beekeeper in the area. And I told him, I said, you know, this storm that came through, how many hives did you lose? Uh, did you, you know, how detrimental was it? Can you, what happened there? He says, you know, I, I lost all of my boxes, all the hives. They washed away and blew away. But something was strange about this. He said, what washed away was literally empty hives. He said, two weeks 
before that hurricane came on land, every beehive that I had lifted up and hit the trees and took off. I'm talking about before the satellites even knew there was a storm out there. Nature says something's brewing. Something's going on. You know, nature is God, okay? Nature is the, 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 the creation. It is everything that God has designed. And so it's really amazing. You know, we have come to the place now that we have weather satellites that warn us and we can watch this thing and we're seven days out and we can tell you what direction and we know pretty much what's going to happen. But God already knows what's on, on the horizon, you know? That's why we want to trust God. That's why we want to have faith in God because I'm yielding my life, as I spoke this morning, to God's capable hands. And it is Almighty God who knows the future. He knows my life. He knows my needs. And boy, when I raise my hand, it sure makes me feel a whole lot better about serving God because He knows about me. Hallelujah. He knows about you and me. In history, in American history, we have lost tens of thousands of ships, small to large, utility vessels, cargo vessels, freight liners, to storm-infested waters because of the inability to understand. You know, now we have tremendous satellite activity and, and can watch this. But, but through the years, hundreds of years, we have lost so many vessels, thousands of vessels that are lost in these waters, sunken somewhere on the ocean floor, you know, nowhere to be found again. But since the advancement of computer and mechanical technology, there is this race to find these sunken treasure ships. I mean, a lot of these ships, they're, they're not necessarily cargo ships, but yet they are old ships that maybe not had gold and silver on them, but yet they are finding these old artifacts and these old historical things, and, and they are so valuable in museums and such, and connects the dots, and this is where this was found, and, and people toured, and it becomes a, 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 a something of great value, all right? So there's been this race to find these sunken treasure ships. And some time ago, the Spanish Navy had taken like two months. They, they hired the Navy to go out there with their distinct ability and to find these treasure ships that were lost, like thousands of ships lost off of the coast in these gulf, rich, rich gulf waters outside of Spain. And, of course, these were very loaded with gold and coins and silver coins and, and much treasure. And they were doing this because there is this rush and there's this tremendous amount of people with technology that are finding these treasure ships and so they're racing they got their navy out there trying to get them before somebody else is grabbing them up they feel like they belong to spain so there's these large number of people that are doing this one of these is called the odyssey team and they have literally found billions of dollars worth of sunken treasure inside these ships because they have the ability now to go out and scan and, and track and, and know how to locate these things it's interesting because I got to studying this. One Florida uh, 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 treasure hunter bought the rights to a 300 square mile uh, area off the coast of Florida. And he is finding these ships, get this, 10 to 20 feet deep. I hate it bad that I'm afraid of water. I might learn to snorkel at 10 foot deep, you know, to pick up some gold coins. You know what I mean? 
to break off some boards and say, Woohoo, look what I just found. Yeah, all right. You know, 10 to 20 feet deep. Now I'm jumping right off in the middle of my message right now. But I want to tell you, your enemy wants to tell you in your mind that your faith, if you've lost something, if you've laid it down, if you've skipped a beat somewhere and you left it laying, whatever, the devil wants you to know it is long gone and you can't find it. It's like the Titanic, sunken forever in the bottom of the ocean. But I'm going to tell you, it's just right there. Right there. Hallelujah. And you know what God wants to do? He wants you to reclaim that shipwrecked faith. Something that may be lost. Something you think is long gone. There's no way I'll ever get that back again. All you got to do is just a little bit of diving deep in the presence of God. And there you will reclaim your sunken treasure. Praise God. Hallelujah. Because as I said this morning, my God is for me. If God is for me, who can be against us? Praise God. We get these voices in our mind. We get these things. And I, I recall a story of, of uh, Brother uh, Smith, Stanley Smith in my home church. He was kind of a tall, slender guy. or uh, Tall, but as a young child or a young man, he was a slender guy. And he tried to go play basketball. And he said he knew he wasn't the best basketball player. He knew he wasn't fixing to get a scholarship, but he enjoyed playing. And he would get out there. And all these other guys would take that ball and they would go between their legs. And boy, they'd go down and slam dunk it. And he said, whoo, you know, boy, I wanted to I wanted to get that ball and I want to go do some things with it. You know, and he'd get that ball just as soon as he would. He would put it on the ground and it hit his foot, hit his knee and go running that way and bouncing that way. He was, and, and you know, all along, he knew he wasn't the greatest, but his dad didn't know that. His dad would say, come on, Coy, you get that ball, buddy. You're going to get up there. You can do it. And he says, in life, he says, if you hear voices that are saying, get him out of the game, remove him. He's no good. Take him out. Oh, he's pathetic. He's awful. He can't do it. He said, you got to rest assured that is not your father. Because your father saying, come on. You can do it. Pick that ball up. Come on. You can make it. If you'll just get up, try it again. You'll make it. You'll do something. Praise God. God is for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is the writings of Paul. And he makes a statement here to the Corinthian church. And to me, this is very powerful. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And basically, he is not glorying in all of his adversity. People would go whining and crying about all the bad things that's happening. Paul is not saying that. But he says, now, if you want to talk about adversity, he said, I can tell you some things. I can give you a list of things that have happened in my life. In 2 Corinthians 11, 25 through 27, he says, well, where is it? We are ministers of Christ. I speak as a fool. I am more. In laborers, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, often. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save once. In other words, 39 times. I got 39 stripes five different times, right? Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I have suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep, floating, you know, on a, on a board, holding on for dear life. 
You see, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils. In, I've been in a lot of trouble, he says. I've been in a lot of perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Woo, what a list. In weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger, in thirst, in fastings often, in cold, in nakedness. And then beside all of this, the, the worry of the, 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 the church of the Lord that was upon me. In other words, the care of all the churches. He said, if you want to talk about a list of responsibilities, or if you want to talk about a list of, of adversity, hey, I can tell you about all of that, right? So as he's listening to this, we can find that Paul three times has made the statement, I have been in shipwreck. He knew what a shipwreck condition meant. He knows what it is to be sitting, floating in water. Like I said, I'm a little afraid of water. I, I, I don't know that I would want to not be grounded on this earth. You know what I mean? So you get a little bit floating and, and you think all day, all night, floating around. Well, you've lost your family, you've lost hope, you've lost ability to see how this is all going to turn out. You know, somewhere here you're going crazy because you can't drink the water, you know. This is not a good thing. Shipwreck is not a good thing. So when we look at the text, we can say, Timothy, young man, son of the gospel, hold fast, fast to your faith and don't let go of it. For some concerning faith, They've allowed their faith to be shipwrecked. Where their faith is just dispersed on the ocean floor. That faith is just everywhere. Never to be gathered up again. Faith that is shipwrecked. How important is our faith? How important? For some, they say, oh, that's not that big of a deal. You're going to church again? You know? Why? You mean you, you pray every day? You mean God didn't hear you the first time you prayed? And that, I mean, doesn't God know your needs? Why? You know, you're going to trust something you can't see? You, you've heard it all. You know, we've heard all these things. How important is your faith in God? Hebrews chapter 11 or 10, verse 35, I think tells us the, the answer to that. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promises for yet a little while. And he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just, this is how we live, we live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we, the church, you and me, we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. When you are drawing back, you say, well, my faith is not important. When you are yielding or giving up your faith, you are drawing back unto perdition. The writer is saying, but we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but we are of them that believe to the saving of the soul. You say, what, what is my faith worth? Faith is worth eternity in heaven. You exchange your faith with a crown of life. You give your, you give your faith alive, make it alive in your life. And one day you get to walk on streets of gold and serving the living God for eternity and eternity long. Hallelujah. What a great thing. How important is my faith? 
My faith is very important. We are the church of the living God. We are His bride. And the reason we are is because we've allowed faith to grow and to take control of us. That is what faith is all about. Matthew chapter 8. We read about a man, the centurion, who came to Jesus because he wanted his servant to be healed. He said, Lord, I want you to touch my servant. And the Lord says, I will go there. And he said, no, no, you don't have to go there. He said, I'm a man of position. And and I have people that work under me. And all I got to do is say, go. And they go. Or come. And they come. Lord, all you got to do is speak the word. And I know that'll be enough. And those words, when they come off of his lip, just boom, exploded in the heart of God. And he says, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. I have not seen such great faith. Now to some people, his own disciples, he said, oh ye, a little faith. You got a little bit of faith. To some, he spoke to the nation. He says, oh, faithless generation, you don't have any faith. I don't see any faith. But here's one, because you understood the power of the word of God. I have not seen such faith. No, not anywhere. That is great faith. The point is, is God recognizes our faith. Faith is what God sees. Fear is what the enemy works on. Don't offer the devil fear. Don't say, oh, I just don't. Don't let the enemy have fear and work with it in your life. No, faith is the vehicle that God uses. Fear is the vehicle that your enemy uses. I want to live my life in faith. I don't want to have fear about tomorrow or any other circumstance that may be coming in my life. I want to offer faith. Faith is the vehicle that takes us to God. The Bible says, by grace are you saved through faith. If you want to get to the presence of God, you say, well, God is gracious. He's going to just, man, he's just going to save me. That's not what the scripture says. You've got to get in that vehicle of faith. Get bolted in. Let's go, God, where you want to take me. Right? Faith is the vehicle that gets you into God. By grace are you saved through faith. Titus 2 and 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. In other words, it's passed by. God will let you get a glimpse of it. God let you see it. And he said, it's appeared to all men, teaching us that denying the godliness and world us that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. God has allowed us to see it. He has allowed us to to pass by. But it is up to us, the grace of God, as it passed by, to reach out in faith. Faith is my response. Faith, God does his part. He gives you a glimpse. But faith is my response. It says, I want to get on board. I want to do what you want me to do. I will connect to your plan and to your purpose. Praise God. Catch this. Faith is the vehicle. It's like that ship, right? That God loads down with powerful uh, treasures, These magnificent ships that carry all of this wealth and and carry all of this uh, valuables. Faith is that vehicle that we offer to God that He begins to load it down. The Bible says daily He loadeth me with benefits. In your relationship with God, in your prayer, in your 
focusing on God and serving God. Every day is a brand new day of benefits coming your way. God puts value in your life. And over time, there is much value in your life. God has put potential and a lot of great many things that God puts in your life because the Bible says from up above that, that the, the, the Father gives the gifts that comes from above. I, the scripture is not coming to me, but you know the, the scripture that God's gifts are coming from above. Every day, even those gifts, God is loading me down and because of my faith. He loads me with blessings. He loads me with talents and abilities. He loads us purpose. He, heavenly treasures, our salvation experience, right? Pearl of great price. You know, as we say, the salvation is like the pearl of great price. To equip us, to make us our potential to grow. Give us ability, reaching the lost. The fruit of the Spirit, fivefold ministry, the prayers of the saints. We talked about that today. Being able to pray with a burden and make a difference because you work against the kingdom of God using the tools of prayer. The ministry of angels, gifts and callings of God. All of these things, the Bible says, we have these treasures in earthen vessels. God puts that value in our lives. Amen? So I brought some coins, right? Now this ain't real big silver and gold, okay? I'm a preacher. What Paul or Peter say silver and gold have I none? These are just kind of like Susan B. Anthony dollars. But they're dollars at least. So, I mean, they got great value. It's worth a dollar. Here's some big, big coins. I mean, this is the big dollars, right? Not silver, silver, but 50 cents. But, you know, God, as, as your faith grows and you are constantly praying, you are praising, God says, whoo, you know, value. Sometimes he goes, whoo, you know. Much, much value in your life. Till finally, years of relationship, God puts stability in your life. He puts wealth. He puts, he puts the, the ability to stick to something. You know, that's, that's got weight to it. That's, that's heavy. That, that means something. You understand what I'm saying? You are not tossed about by every wind of doctrine. You have, you have roots in your life because this becomes stable. You become powerful. You become usable by the presence of God. God is daily loading you with spiritual wealth and benefit. Now some people may look at the coin here and I'm just making a comparison. But the truth is, there's no value that can be put, I mean the priceless uh, the comparison of, of what this world has and what God has put in the church of the living God because we are a spiritual group of people. We have the ability to stand between heaven and earth and be an intercession for those that are around us that need God. God has done these things through you and me because of our faith and our relationship with God. It puts weight in us. Here, here's another one. Stand up, Brother Micah. You got your muscles ready? Okay. I'll catch it. Okay. What about that? Weightless. Weightless. Those are Honey Nut Cheerios. <laughs> That's nothing. You right? But this, like I said, matters to God. 
If we could just see what God wants to do in our lives, church. God wants to make you such valuable. He wants to give you treasures into this spiritual ship that will get you safely to the other shore one day. He wants to establish these things in your life. But you know what we do? Something, a war or a battle or a a pressure or a circumstance or something that comes against us because if we're not careful, we will cast our, as the Bible says, don't cast away your confidence. We'll cast it away somehow. And that's the way our relationship with God is. Because we cast it aside. Nobody's going to take your experience. You give it up. You cast it away. Cast not your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Church, how important it is. My walk with God. Don't waste it. Don't lose it. Don't cast it aside for some frail, feeble mindset of this world. we got to understand the value that we have in us because of the power and of the kingdom of God, what He has established in my life. Philippians 1 and 6 says, He that has started a good work will perform it. That's exactly what God wants to do. A work excuse me, that was started when I felt the presence of God convict my heart for the first time. And it said, I need to go to a place of prayer. I need to make my way. And I go, oh, why, why did I do that? Because I thought God got a hold of my heart. It pulled me to a place of prayer. And in that altar, I spent months and months seeking after the Holy Ghost. But the, the point is, at that point, God was starting a work in my life. And to the point that now I love God's Word. I love the presence of God. I love being among the saints of God. Why? Because I found that's where value is in my life. Coming through those rough years that people talk about, those teenage times where your friends are smoking dope and doing drugs or doing this, doing all kinds of that. To me, that was so frail and so insignificant. I thought, no, why would I want to waste what God has given me to stoop to become like that? Why? Because God put that weight in my life. God put that value in my life. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. But we find in Acts 27 that they're sailing in this ship and Paul is talking about how they are 14 days in this storm. Somewhere in this 14 days, they probably said, we can make it through this. We, we sail we, we can, we can, We can break this storm's back. Let's just hang on. But finally, somewhere toward the end, They said, we're not going to make it, folks. And then they started casting the tackling aside. Everything that they would need to sail that ship, they start throwing it aside, trying to make this thing lighter. We don't need those ropes. (laughs) We don't need that lifeboat. We don't need that. We don't need that. We don't need that. Because of of the circumstance, the pressure, much pressure. Bible says many uncertain days. They didn't know what was going up. Seeing neither sun nor moon, the storm was so great, they had literally lost all their hope. Just realizing we're going to crash this ship. The best I can do is just hold on to a piece of board because they felt doom was coming. This is Acts chapter 27. We see another story in the book of Ruth. We find where Naomi and her family... And her husband and her sons leave a place that is a good place. 
Bethlehem, Judah. That meant house of bread, house of praise. This was a good place to be. I don't know the reason why they would go to Moab. I, I mean, the Bible doesn't really give us all of that. We know that Moab was a highly progressive kingdom and one for much uh, worldly pursuit. So, you know, you would kind of, you know, assume that there was a, a negative reason as to why they would leave Bethlehem, Judah. Things just didn't set them well. And they left to a place called Moab. And as it would be, when you get into those circumstances in your life, you you lose value. You lose things that mattered, right? You need, and that's exactly what happened. Ruth, or, or uh, uh, Naomi, lost, and her name means pleasant. And she lost her husband. And their two sons that had married daughters, Orpha and Ruth, and they also died. Until finally she feels empty. She feels broken. She feels like treasure. It's been cast aside. I'm no longer beneficial. I'm no longer any good. And the Bible says they determined, she determined, I'm going to make my way back to Bethlehem, Judah. I'm going to go back home. She heads back home. People that remembered her, praise the Lord, it's Naomi, y'all, it's Naomi. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which meant bitter. She said, because I left out full and now I'm come back into me, uh, em empty. She said, I feel... Like bitterness has been handed to me. I'm not pleasant anymore. My name, Naomi, meant pleasant. I'm not Naomi anymore. I feel empty. I feel like I'm nothing anymore. So they settle back in, in, uh, in the country. And as they are there, it's the time of harvest, right? And the, the, the people are gleaning in the fields and, and reaping the harvest. And as the uh, law required... The landowners would leave the corners of the field. The corners of the field were for the poor and the, 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 the homeless or the, as the, the, those that didn't have anything. And so they could go and they could glean the corners of the field. This is what the law had required. And it was in those corners that Ruth made her way. passing by and let some go to the side. She's out there doing that one day and Boaz sees her. He, he, he's kind of a thought, an interest. He, who, who is this woman? What, what's going on? Come to know that, that she is uh, of his uh, descendant, whatever. And so he is a kinsman redeemer. If you understand the thought of the kinsman redeemer, it would be possibly his uh, duty to take her as a wife and so he's checking on these things and come to find out you know there is one that's ahead of him and he says I need to go take care of this so he goes to town and he, he goes before this man or he's waiting a kinsman that would be ahead of him and he says the woman Ruth, you know, and he begins to explain to her, I want you to know, are you going to redeem her? Are you going to marry her? Or, you know, it's your responsibility. Her husband has died. It's your responsibility. And as the kinsman redeemer, this is a very interesting thought, because the kinsman redeemer had to be able to make up their mind. Just like that. Jesus, we find this parallel as the kinsman redeemer had the ability to make up his mind. Because he in the garden, now first of all, you got to understand the purpose of God 
from beginning to end flows through a weak place, which is the flesh. And they say that a chain is only as strong as his weakest link, right? So we're talking about God who became flesh. And at that moment, that could have been the weakest link. And here's Jesus praying in the garden. Father, I don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I am not going to abort God's plan from the beginning to the ending. And it's not, I'm not going to be the weakest link. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus told his other followers, he said, let your yeas be yea and your nays be nay. In other words, mean what you say and that settles it. Because he, as the kinsman redeemer, would have to be able to make up his mind. Praise God. Here you have this man, Boaz, as goes and he gets in front of his, this, his other uh, Whoever that would be, that would be ahead of him. And he says, what about Ruth? What are you going to do? And he's like, well, I don't, I don't man, I just, uh, man, this is all just dropped upon me. And I don't, no, I can't do it. He said, good, because I'm going to do it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And that's what Jesus did for the church of the living God. In that prayer, he said, oh, if it be possible, if there's a way, this thing can slide past me. But no, 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 no. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He was saying in essence, I will do it. I will do it. I will redeem that, that church. I will purchase them with my own blood. I will do it. Let your yeas be yea and your nays be nay. My mind's made up. I'm going all the way. Praise God. As kinsman redeemer. Ruth didn't realize what was going on. She didn't see that Boaz saw wedding bells. She didn't know all of this. He gave a command. He says, drop out handfuls of purpose. On purpose. When you go by and you've got that big There's no way you can make it. You're not going to ever get back to what you were. You've got, your your uh, relationship is already at the bottom. I want you to know you're like Ruth here, who the kinsman redeemer is reaching for you. You're just down and surrounded around, and God's going to let you reclaim the shipwreck faith. You look, you say, oh, my prayer life. God's going to give me my prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Woo! wants to allow you to reclaim 
your shipwrecked faith. Praise God. Hallelujah. You can stand. And the reason being is God hears wedding bells. You are his bride. Praise the Lord. One of these days, we'll be with him for eternity. Worshiping him. Praising our God. Praising his great majesty, holiness, the work that he has done. All of these things in the presence of God for eternity. Why? Because God has been allowing us to restore ourselves. Maybe the enemy has destroyed something in your life. But I'm going to tell you, if God is for us, as again, that service this morning. If God is for us, who can be against us? There is no enemy. There's no influence. Not when our God is for us. Who can be against us? Praise God. Won't you lift your hands to the Lord right now? Thank you, Jesus. You are restoring God. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 These two services today, I don't know why, they're to kind of piggyback off of each other. I want you to know, church, there's a God who knows your need. There's a God who's been watching you a long time. The Bible says when He created man, that He stooped down, He formed man out of the dust of the ground. And the old, or that was the Old Testament, the New Testament, all the way in Revelation. The Bible says that Jesus was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. When He made man, He said, I'm going to be crucified for Him. I'm going to give myself a ransom for many. Praise God. I want you, if you would, especially if you have a need tonight, you, you feel like this message or this day, this whole day, God has been tapping on your heart. I just want you to come to the front, if you would. Let's entertain the presence of God. God wants to stack so much value in your life. It's unreal. You think, God, I don't see how I could ever do that. I don't see how I could ever be that. But God wants to put so much value in your life. Praise God. Through relationship, day by day, relationship with Him, He keeps stacking great value in your life. Praise God. Hallelujah. the me 